Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. As I have said, I'm calling the series Via Dolorosa. Via meaning way, Dolorosa means suffering in the Latin language. So we're looking at four points of suffering that Jesus endures on his way to the cross and, of course, then to the resurrection. We have one more week next week, and we'll look at the crucifixion. But this week, we're looking at Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Throughout our history, many names have gone down in infamy. Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Jim Jones, just to name a few. But no name in all of history is more despised than Judas Iscariot. We don't even name our dogs Judas, the man who betrayed Christ. In Dante's Divine Comedy that he wrote, he takes a reader down to the lowest regions of hell, the abode of the worst of sinners as well as Satan himself. And he depicts Satan at the very bottom of hell. And in his mouth is Judas being thrashed with Satan's teeth. Actually, it's difficult for us to imagine or to contemplate Judas's judgment and his end after this awful deed that he completed. Peter, yes, Peter didn't betray Christ during his hour of, of greatest need, but Peter did deny that he even knew him, as we read a few moments ago. So within hours, Jesus receives a one-two punch, we could say, a one-two punch from his own disciples, a one-two punch of rejection that he received at the hands of two of his followers. Both of these men were one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples. They saw the miracles. They heard the magnificent sermons. They lived at Jesus' side for three, three and a half years. Judas never came to know the Lord as personal Savior. Never came to know the Lord as personal Savior. Peter at this point was a lot of bluster and talk, but he lived a characterless life. He lacked the follow-through. So these verses stand as a stark reminder to all of mankind, certainly us as Christians, but to all of mankind that it is possible to be conversant and to be uh, comfortable with spiritual matters without ever letting God change us. Let's look first of all at Judas's betrayal, then we'll look at Peter's denial. Look at verses 10 and 11. The betrayal plan is how I'm describing it, the betrayal plan. Judas evidently had been planning on the betrayal of Christ. We don't know how long he'd been doing that, but he had been planning on doing it because he went to the elders of the Jews and the priests. The beginnings maybe could be seen when he criticized, he literally criticized the Lord. He did it indirectly, but he criticized Mary. When she broke the alabaster box and anointed Jesus' feet, he said this could have been sold and given to the poor. The money could have been given to the poor, but the Bible tells us he was a thief. He had been stealing from the purse. He betrayed his master for money, for money. 
obviously something that meant more to him than the Savior was money. Judas's actions underscore Jesus' warning in Mark 8, 36, which says, What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? In other words, if you're the richest man alive, if you have more money than anyone else, but you lose your own soul, you die and you go to hell, is what Jesus is talking about. What profit is it if you have all of that money and die and go to hell? Good question. So the betrayal plan, first of all, the die is cast. Let's look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, and the Bible mentions that several times. He was one of the disciples, one of the 12. The Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. Maybe it was Jesus' rebuke, because after he made that comment about Mary, Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always, but not me. She has done this as an honor to me before my death. So Jesus rebukes Judas. I don't know if that's stuck in his heart or his mind, and that, that was a turning point for him, but maybe it was his rebuke that he realized Christ's kingdom was going to be different than what he thought. Of course, all the disciples and all of the followers thought Christ was going to usher in an earthly kingdom, overthrow the Romans, and his reign would begin, and they would be reigning with him. So we don't know what triggered Judas. Maybe he realized this kingdom is different than what he was originally thinking and planning. By the way, unfortunately today, people walk away from Christianity because it isn't delivering to them. It isn't delivering for them what they thought it should or what they thought it would. And they, they dust their hands off and pack their bags and said, enough of this. It is not taking me down the road that I want to go. And they walk away from Christianity. Some tried to defend Judas. Some theologians actually tried to defend Judas' actions, arguing that he was trying to, his betrayal of Christ was trying to force Jesus to reveal himself and to establish his kingdom, that, that Jesus was going to go to the cross and he would have to call down power from heaven to establish his kingdom right then. That's what they say. No, I don't think so. Others say he was simply a pawn. He was just simply a, a player that had really no choice in the matter. It was prophesied from history past, and he was just a pawn in simply fulfilling prophecy. Let me say to you, I think those are both wrong, dead wrong. Judas was a man. He had soul liberty. Judas made his own decisions. He was making his own decisions, and in so doing, he simply fulfilled what God already knew would happen. He fulfilled prophecy. The die is cast, verse 10. The deal is made in verse 11. And when they heard it, speaking of the priests, the leaders of the Jews, and when they heard it, they were glad. They were happy. They did the happy dance and promised to give him money. And so he saw how he might conveniently, clandestinely maybe we would say, at an opportune time betray Christ and put Christ into their hand. So the deal is made. Judas went to the enemies of Christ, and the Bible tells us they were delighted. No doubt they must have despised Judas. 
They must have despised him as a characterless traitor, as a turncoat without any real character. But they used him in their endeavor to destroy Christ and his cause. All of Christ's betrayal and these last hours are described a little bit differently in each of the Gospels. Matter of fact, Luke's Gospel tells us that he, and he uses the word, he communed, Judas, communed with the priest for a price. You get what that's saying? In other words, he bartered with them. They offered a certain amount of money. He said, no, I won't do it for that. It must be more. It went back and forth. He communed with them for a price. They bartered over a life. They were bartering over the Son of God and his life. Here are outwardly religious people, outwardly religious men acting like mafia kingpins, talking about taking someone's life. Jesus is put on the bargain rack, on the bargain counter, 30 pieces of silver. Okay, we'll take it for that. He's put on the bargain counter by Judas and by the priest. And I'm sure, by the way, that he's been sold out for less at different times in people's lives, less than 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal planned in verses 10 and 11, verses 18 through 21, the betrayal predicted. We read that passage of Scripture a few moments ago where Jesus says as they're enjoying the last Passover, the first communion, we would say, kind of a segue between those two. He says, the one who dips his hand in the dish with me will betray me. One of you will betray me. And then he gets more specific. The one who enjoys the sop will betray me. Jesus and his disciples prepare to eat the Passover meal together for the very last time. And he says, one of you are going to betray me. It must have rocked the disciples' world. What? One of us? Impossible. And the scriptures, not only did Jesus predict it, but the scriptures predicted it much earlier, hundreds and hundreds of years. I'll read two of them. Psalm 55, verses 12 and 13 says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I would have been able to bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him, but it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. Then it says again in Psalm 41, verse 9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So if Judas had read his Bible, if Judas was familiar with the psalm, he could have read about his own actions before they were ever completed. If he would have read his own Bible, he would have saw himself there. The Bible not only shows us God, it shows us ourselves. Many times as we read it, we see our sinfulness. And it's not a pretty picture. But that's why we read the Bible, so we see ourselves in the Scripture. So we see the Savior in his prophecy. We see the Savior really prodding him 
And Jesus told them of his soon betrayal in verse 18 here. And the disciples began to say to one another, is it I? Could I possibly be the one that's going to betray him? Why? They questioned their own hearts. They, they were really questioning their own loyalty and their ability to stand with Christ. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall, the Bible says. When we get the idea that we're strong enough in our own strength or we're mature enough in our Christian law, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Let him take heed, lest he falls. You know, evidently, none of them suspected Judas. They didn't point the finger and we said, and said, well, we think it's going to be him. We've suspected him being a traitor all along. They didn't say that of Judas. No one suspected Judas. He was an upstanding disciple. He was the, the trusted treasurer of their finances. Matter of fact, I believe that Jesus did everything possible to awaken Judas's conscience and bring him to repentance. Jesus gave him the sop, that end of the crust of the bread that was soaked in the gravy. He gives him the sop, which was a token of love and affection. He gives it to him, appealing to him. No doubt that's probably why Judas left so abruptly. After he received the sop, the Bible says he left. Yes, he had business to take care of. He went then to the priest, but I think he was under such conviction. Christ loved him, and Christ's benevolence and his mercy was being poured out upon him, and he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stay there any longer. He leaves abruptly before the Passover supper was finished. He was guilt-ridden. Next, third, I see the betrayal perpetrated in verses 43 through 46. John 13, 2, one of the other gospel accounts, tells us that Satan put into the heart of Judas to betray Christ. He entered into him. Satan is always looking for a heart to use as a beachhead for attacking Christ and his cause. Satan is always looking for a Christian whose heart is vulnerable to becoming a turncoat. Let's look at where he stood we know the story that last night, Jesus sleeps none. His disciples are sleeping. He wakes them up a couple of times and asks them to pray with him, but they just can't seem to muster it. And Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane that we talked about last week there on the Mount of Olives, and it's an agonizing time for him. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays through the night, his last night, alive on earth as a man, and Judas and the soldiers arrive just about morning in the wee hours of the night, early morning hours. Judas and the soldiers arrive, and the disciples aren't there. The question comes to all of our mind, where do we stand with Christ and his cause when it's being assailed? This is the greatest hour of need in Christ's earthly life. And he's asking his disciples to, to stay with him, to accompany him in his loneliness, in his abandonment by both man and soon-to-be God. So where do we stand when the cause of Christ? We have plenty of opportunities to stand in our day. 
As Christians, we have plenty of opportunities to stand up and speak out for Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. And the battle for truth and the battle for morality and the battle for decency are being carted off, carted away. Let's stand for Christ. Let's not deny him. And if we're not going to deny him, we must be fortified. And what he said, not only where he stood, but what he said. Judas comes to him in verse 45 and he says, Master, Master, a Rabboni, Rabboni, teacher, teacher, Master, Master. And obviously those are a traitor's words. Jesus wasn't Judas's master. He really wasn't Jesus's Lord or teacher. Those words have no sincerity behind them, none whatsoever. And then he uses the greeting of affection. We're familiar with Oriental Middle Eastern greetings. They would kiss one another on each cheek. Judas comes up and he gives him the affectionate greeting, kissing him on both cheeks. And Jesus says, what thou doest, do quickly. In other words, Jesus dismisses what Judas's affectionate terms. He kisses Christ. And you have to stop and think about that. All the venom of hell was in that kiss. All the venom of hell was delivered to Christ in that kiss. In Mark's gospel, we never read of Judas again. The other gospels mention him, but in Mark's gospel, he's never mentioned again. But his earthly story is not over. He goes and he receives, maybe really at that moment, as they cart Jesus away, the 20, 30 pieces of silver are delivered to Judas. Judas receives that money, puts it into his purse, and no doubt it burns a hole in his soul. It's burning a hole in his soul, and he quickly returns it to the priest. And he, but before he does that, he buys a rope, and he ties it in a tree, and he ties it around his neck, and he swings out into eternity. He kills himself. He lands in hell. He swings out in eternity, and when he comes down, he lands in hell where Christ betrayers, Christ deniers, Christ rejectors face their eternal torment in hell. It's too late for him. That decision was made. That lie, that die was cast. But it's not too late for anyone here. For anyone listening to my voice, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you will face the same judgment in hell that Judas faced. Maybe you didn't betray Christ, but maybe you simply rejected him. Hell is the final destination for every Christ rejecter that lives. Don't reject Christ. Embrace him. Let's transition to Peter. And I won't spend but a few moments here. The denial of Peter we read about in this passage of Scripture as well. Mark 14, 27 through 31, and then the last section we read, 66 through 72. Jesus predicted to Peter that he would betray him, that he would deny him. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed, we often say. Forewarned is forearmed. In other words, knowing what is coming... We should prepare ourselves. 
Peter, knowing what Jesus said, should have backed down on his comments and should have fortified his soul. But Peter's was full of self-confidence. There was one thing that was marked before Pentecost, and that was a very self-confident disciple. Peter was full of self-confidence. Peter's self-confidence and his prayerlessness set him up for the fall. And it's true for all of us. A prayerless life sets us up for, for Satan's temptation, for us to deny Christ. Peter's prayerlessness and his self-confidence, I got this, I can handle this, I won't do that, set him up for a fall. All four Gospels record Peter's denial. They don't do that to rub Peter's nose in it for all the preaching of the history of the church or the life of Peter for that matter. They're not, they're not recording it to humiliate Peter, but to warn us that pride comes before a fall. Matter of fact, Mark's gospel account, we probably most of us understand, that came from Peter's preaching. Peter tells the stories in his preaching, and Peter was the sword for Mark's gospel. So Peter made sure it was recorded in the gospel that, that he oversaw through Mark. He wanted it to be recorded as a warning for Christians down through the ages. Peter's denial was not a result of him being accused by the high priest or some Roman official that says, if we can prove that you were with Christ, you're going to be crucified. You're going to die as well. That isn't why Peter denied him. It wasn't some high official accusing him of being a disciple of Christ. That wasn't the case at all. It wasn't the priest, it wasn't the Roman officials, it was a slave girl. It was a door attendant that says, your speech betrays you. You're one of those uh, Galileans. You're one of Christ's followers. It wasn't like he was facing the death penalty, not at all. And of course, Peter not only denies him once, he denies him three times. And then the cock crows, and Luke's gospel account says when that cock crowed, Peter looked across the courtyard, and Jesus turned his eyes and fixed his gaze upon Peter. And Peter was so convicted that he broke down and wept, and he fled the scene, knowing that he had betrayed his Savior and his Lord. The full weight of conviction comes upon him, and Peter is grieved at his actions. He's grieved at his words. And he doesn't get it taken care of until Christ's resurrection and he sees him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Certainly, this must be one of the saddest accounts, the saddest sections in the gospel narrative. The betrayal by Judas, the denial by Peter. But it is included for more than just information. It's not just filling in the blanks of what happened in those wee hours of the morning. It isn't just for information. It is a warning for us. It's placed here as a warning for all of us down through the ages. So I say in closing, 
we must evaluate the sincerity of our faith. The Bible says that we're to, to do that regularly. We certainly do that at, at communion. But Paul says, make sure that you're in the faith. We must evaluate the sincerity of our faith. Are we Christ followers like Judas? Are we Christ followers because of what he can do for us? Or because he's truly our Lord and our Savior? So why are we following him? Is it because he cleans up our life? He makes our marriage better? He promises to bless us if we handle our money properly? Why are we following Christ? We must evaluate that. Second, we must strengthen the ties of our faith so we don't deny him during our darkest days and during our worst trials. We keep drilling down in our faith. We keep learning the scriptures. We keep steeping our soul in the word of God. So when we come to our darkest hours and our worst trial, we don't deny him as Peter does. And that's a process that goes on all throughout our life, the sanctifying process that all of us are walking in right now. Let's pray. Father, we read this account, we read these stories of these men, and it makes us shudder. We're uncomfortable. We know we can say, except by the grace of God, there go I. We realize that we need your grace and your strengthening every day because we live in a world of Christ rejectors and Christ deniers. But we don't want to be named amongst them. We want to stand tall. We want to stand true. We want to stand boldly for the truth that we read in our Bibles. Christ is our Savior and he's our Lord. Lord, we would say today we would like to be amongst those that would even give their lives if that became necessary for our faith and for our Savior. And so we ask today, Lord, that you help us to bolster our faith. We'd be found in you and we'll be growing in you. If there's someone here today in our service or listening, Lord, that doesn't know you as Savior, may today be the day they cry out to you. May they seek help to settle the matter of their soul's condition, we would pray. So we commit ourselves to you and we ask that you'll strengthen us Help us as we examine these weeks ahead what you've done for us as you died on the cross and rose from the grave. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.